It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 76, Samuel and the Spirit of Prophecy. If you want to know what David was going through emotionally as he ran from Saul out of the king's palace, he wrote all about it in Psalm 59. For the director of music, to the tune of Do Not Destroy, of David, a miktam. When Saul had sent men to watch David's house in order to kill him, Deliver me from my enemies, O God. Be my fortress against those who are attacking me. Deliver me from evildoers and save me from those who are after my blood. See how they lie in wait for me. Fierce men conspire against me for no offense or sin of mine. Lord, I have done no wrong, yet they are ready to attack me. Arise to help me. Look on my plight. And David continues until he gets to the very end like so many of his psalms where he works through it in song this is how he concludes this psalm but I will sing of your strength in the morning I will sing of your love for you are my fortress my refuge in times of trouble you are my strength I sing praise to you you, God, are my fortress, my God, on whom I can rely. All right, think with me here. If you were David, where would you go? Saul has made you a wanted man. Can't go to your family. You would endanger them. Israel is surrounded by enemies. Jonathan can't help. Your wife is hostage in the palace. Well, who got you in this anointed mess in the first place? Samuel. Not too far away is Ramah, where Samuel lives. David goes to see and find wisdom and counsel and protection from Samuel. We have to understand Samuel at this point. He's old. I mean, he's really old. Gotta consider him in his 80s or 90s. He's not exactly the young guy who defeated the Philistines when he was young. But boy, Samuel still has the power of God within him. Samuel still has a school of the prophets with him as well. We have to believe he's had many students, including the future prophet Nathan and Gad and others are here. They're learning from the legend. David seeks protection with Samuel and he stays with them for some time. I have to believe during this time, David received much comfort and training from Samuel. And I have to believe this is where David learns to combine prophetic elements into his worship. Call it impartation that David receives from being around the legend, Samuel. And from the other side, how rewarding for Samuel to spend time with the anointed one, David, the result of so many of his prophecies. David most likely received much comfort from Samuel and the word of the Lord coming from him. No matter the fruit of this season for both men, it was a physically short time period because Saul was still out for David. 
1 Samuel 19.19 Word came to Saul, David is in Naoth at Ramah. So he sent men to capture him. But when they saw a group of prophets prophesying, with Samuel standing there as their leader, the Spirit of God came on Saul's men, and they also prophesied. All right, check this out. Saul sent soldiers to arrest a man in the midst of Samuel and the prophets. The soldiers march up a hill to arrest them, but they are instead arrested by the Spirit of God. The account continues. Saul was told about it, so he sent more men, and they prophesied. Saul sent men a third time, and they also prophesied. I mean, isn't this a crazy story? The soldiers of Saul's guard who were professional soldiers in nature, not prophets, instantly began to prophesy. Doesn't that lead to so many questions? Like, how did this happen? Beyond the gift of prophecy and the temporary falling of the Spirit on a person, this is considered the spirit of prophecy. It leads to other questions like, can a non-believer prophesy? The answer to that question is yes. Non-believers do it all the time in the Bible, showing that God can speak through anyone in any way that he desires. To prove this out, we only have to look back to Balaam and forward to Caiaphas, the high priest in the time of Jesus, who prophesied that Jesus would have to die for the Jewish people in John eleven fifty one. Finally, Saul himself leaves for Ramah. And he went to the great cistern at Siku, and he asked, Where are Samuel and David? Over in Naoth at Ramah, they said. So Saul went to Naoth at Ramah. I checked out the Hebrew of these places, and Naoth has an incredible meaning that has such power when you read it. Naoth means habitations, and it states it is the dwelling place of the prophets in Samuel's time. What a place, habitations, the habitation of God among the people, the place of the prophets. Saul, who hopes to do what his men can't do, finds himself in the same predicament when the Spirit of God came even on him, and he walked along prophesied until he came to Naoth. He stripped off his garments, and he too prophesied in Samuel's presence. He lay naked all that day and all that night. This is why people say, is Saul also among the prophets? So this is a crazy story. I mean, seriously, what did this look like? It, it speaks of the spirit of prophecy, a concept that's different than the gift of prophecy or anointing of prophecy. It's a concept that a prophetic gifting can be upon a person or group of people, but also upon a geographic area they are in. It's quite incomparable to so many different things. But it does occur time and time again in this time period with Samuel and even David when he worships. It speaks of this time period and the leadership of Samuel and their openness to heaven. It speaks of his and his students' connection to heaven, that their primary gifting prophecy was available to all those that were around them. So into this sphere or splice of heaven, that the prophets or school of prophets carved out. If you have ever heard of the concept of an open heaven, this would be a good example. So holy was the place of their habitation with God in Ramah, that evil could not be permitted. When wicked men and enemy plans approached, 
God laid them bare and exposed their hearts and prevented any evil plans from fulfillment. For a bit more context, I inquired of a missionary friend of mine, Luke Walters, of MAP 1040 Ministry. Luke has been called to the mission field for over 20 years, and his stories of his adventures in the Middle East, Africa, and India are staggering. Some of the things that he sees and hears about God moving throughout the earth always move me. We inquired of Luke regarding this scene because it reminds us of some of the scenes that you hear about in the most remotest villages on the planet where the gospel has never been told before, where witch doctors and warlocks encounter the power of God. Luke expressed this message was a message of the fear of the Lord. Per Psalm 105, verse 15, Touch not mine anointed, do my prophets no harm. Along the same line, 1 Chronicles 16.21 empowers God's servants with this verse, No one oppressed them, for their sake God rebuked kings. A clear and concise message to kings is that God embarrasses those who come against his anointed vessels on the earth. According to Genesis 12.1, God will bless those that bless and curse those who curse God's people. And it was the notorious Balaam who was determined to curse God's people. But he, the most powerful magician of his age, could only bless Israel. Isn't that a good word from Luke Walters? God embarrasses those who come against his anointed vessels on the earth. Thank you, Luke, for assisting with the preparation of this program. And by the way, when is the launch of your podcast, Luke? In this scene, Saul and his soldiers were laid bare by the sheer power and weight of God that rested upon this group of prophets. After this scene, it was obvious Saul backed off on his desires to harm David, and most likely, like before, he gave David a reprieve until he came back after him again, and this is where we will leave David with Samuel and Saul retreating back to his home in bewilderment as to what had just happened. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, and now that we've laid the groundwork for this scene and the spirit of prophecy, let's conclude this episode with a daydream of mine. I have a daydream, and I want to share it. It comes from this scene and the obvious question. Well, if this happened in the Bible times, could it happen today? And assuming it can happen today, what would it look like? Before we advance to those thoughts, I want to compound on something additional. This one comparing Old Testament believers to New Testament believers. Jesus made some startling statements regarding prophets and New Testament believers. He said to his followers to pray for eyes to see and ears to hear. He said, my sheep, my true disciples, hear my voice. He also said that those who accept him and relationship and have relationship with him will have the Holy Spirit dwell within them. The Old Testament had heroes who had the Spirit come upon them, but New Testament believers have the Spirit within them. 
If the Christian walk is a relationship with Jesus, then we are to hear the voice of our God. If this is the case, what makes an Old Testament prophet that much different than a New Testament believer? In fact, a New Testament believer lives in a better covenant and promise than even an Old Testament prophet. And upon this premise, I rest upon this thought. What if there was more Samuels in the earth today? Not Samuel, but men like him, who truly walk with God and were so close to him that they brought heaven closer to earth. What does the Lord's Prayer say? Kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. What if there was a Samuel in every state? Or what if each city had a Samuel? And with each Samuel was a school of the prophets, or simply stated, a group who were disciples of the Samuel. What if the Spirit of God rested not only within, but upon this group of teachers and students? What if heaven was closer in these geographic areas? What if heaven came down around them and revival and reformation swept the land? What if the Spirit of God was so strong everyone prophesied and all evil plans were laid bare, naked and exposed, and they came to nothing? What if this was possible and revival swept the whole earth, each because the Samuels of the earth took their job responsibly, knowing God would use them to transform their city with God's presence. What would it look like in your city or town or village if we truly prayed as Jesus commanded us to pray on earth as it is in heaven? Is it possible that Habakkuk 2.14 doesn't have to apply to the end of the age? but could apply to a great revival that sweeps the earth in our lifetime. Could it be possible that this scene with Samuel and the prophets gives us a glimpse of something that we could see in our life? A great revival in open heaven that encompasses the whole earth as prophesied in Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Message to Kings. Stay tuned next week as David takes steps to reconcile himself with Saul. Feel free to visit the Facebook page and leave a comment or question. Or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.